Our sermon today is part three of I Spy with My Little Eye. I Spy with My Little Eye. Two weeks ago, it was Paul's uh, turn to spy with his little eye. Followers of Jesus going to church. At that time, Saul thought it was a no-no. Then, uh, then he spied with his little eye a bright light, remember? And he became converted. Because that bright light, after that light shone, then Jesus appeared to him. I spied with my little eye. Last week, Ananias spied with his little eye, a blind man before him, who was now humbled to his knees, praying to the Lord to forgive, of, forgive him of his sins. He spied with his little eye, and Ananias spied with his little eye, a man who was ready to do the Lord's work in Saul. And, and today, God spies with his little eye a potential instrument, a potential servant of God and to man as well. So let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. These are the two verses that we're going to focus on today. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. I read, I've, I've read this countless times uh, through the last two weeks, but I haven't really gone into detail with it. But since this is in, uh, but but since this is from God's perspective, we're going to go ahead and break this down even more today. Okay, so Acts chapter nine, verse fifteen says this. But the Lord said to Ananias, "Go." It's important that you go for this man that I spy with my little eye. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Hmm. In just reading this, there's a lot of things that just come out in this verse. For one, for myself, when I read this, I'm thinking, man, to bear and carry the name of Jesus means that I do have to suffer? That doesn't sound appealing. It's almost like, an, I mean, think of an invitation to a party, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a wonderful celebration, but... In doing so, in being part of this celebration, you're going to have to suffer. That does not sound appealing. So, so let's go ahead and break this down and see what God really means by this. So I want us to look at three words this morning. The first word is instrument. I think that's a very important word for us to understand if we're going to understand what Saul's conversion and calling is all about instrument. Number two, the second word that's going to be important for us to look at is the word carry. What does it mean to carry the name of Jesus before all people? And then the last word I want us to look, uh, explore and to look at is the word suffer. Because that word suffer, that can bring a lot of different emotions and ideas to, to you, to me, to anyone that hears it. 
Okay. So let's go ahead and look at instrument. It says, this man is my chosen instrument. Remember, when God chooses someone for a calling, it's specific, it's intentional, and it's special. So this calling, this chosen instrument is specific to Saul. What does that mean to be an instrument? Well, in the Greek, the word here for instrument, uh, it comes from the root word skeuos. That's a hard word to pronounce, so you don't have to pronounce it for, for, for anything. But skeuos can be translated many different ways. Maybe your, your Bible version says vessel or dish. Who has vessel in their translation? Okay, I see some hands, right. For me, it says, this is my chosen instrument. Skeuls is instrument in my translation. I'd like to propose for today and for this message in regard to Saul's conversion, I would like to propose that the best word to describe Saul in this situation is not vessel, it's not dish, but it's instrument. It's instrument, and here's why. Well, let me ask you this. When you think of the word, when you hear the word instrument, what comes to mind? Maybe, oh, trumpet? A tool? Oh, yeah, a tool, right? Like a hammer or a saw? Okay, I heard someone else say something back there. A violin? Yeah. So, for me, what comes to mind, it's kind of like what Renee was thinking of, a trumpet. And that's only because on a personal level, I used to play the trumpet, used to, past tense, uh, when I was in middle school. I wish I had still stayed with it because I have realized music could have helped me in my ministry. <laughs> so, so, I did not stick with trumpet, but trumpet, I loved that instrument. And what really drew me to that instrument when I first was thinking of which instrument should I play in band, what drew me to that instrument was its beauty. I have to be honest, it was its beauty. It wasn't its sound. It was its beauty because of it. it's made of brass. It wasn't long and big, big like a baritone or long like a trombone. It was perfectly, it would perfectly fit in one hand. So the beauty of the trumpet is what drew me to it. And then on top of that, it only had three keys. Not like a piano that has uh, who, 88. Wow, you guys are good, because I, I did not remember that. But a trumpet only has three, uh, three keys, and then if you move your index finger, I'm forgetting what you call that slide, but if you, uh, if you release the slide or elongate it, it becomes, the note becomes different, okay? So the trumpet, to me, was just a beautiful instrument. Now, when you think of a trumpet, in our day of age, most instruments, musical instruments, are used for entertainment. However, trumpets back then, especially in ancient times, were used not just for entertainment purposes, but most of all used for communication. In a battlefield, I want you to imagine this, swords are clanging, metal are just clanging, right? People are yelling, people are clamoring on top of each other, there's dust everywhere. And so the idea to hear the general giving his commands, oh, you're not going to be able to hear that. Just like this motorcycle going by. 
You probably can't even hear me speak without this microphone. So how would a general or a commanding officer relay the order that the soldiers need to obey in a battlefield? It was through a trumpet or a flag. But in most cases, it was a trumpet. They would play a certain tune, so then soldiers would know whether to advance or flank left or flank right or to retreat. They would blow their trumpets. Another way trumpets were used in communication uh, in ancient times, but also as far back as the 1800s is when kings and queens have arrived. Ba -ba -bum, ba -ba -bum, right? You would hear a tune like that that the that the um, that the royal majesty has arrived. In the Bible, if you were to look at Second Thessalonians, you can briefly turn with me there. Second Thessalonians. I bet if um, they had cell phones back then, the uh, tune would have been a trumpet. So, so if you look at, um, not 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, without losing your page in Acts chapter 9. It tells us here, for the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a what? A loud command, number one. Then number two, with the voice of the archangel. And then number three, with the trumpet call of God. Not only have earthly kings and queens been announced with a trumpet call, but most of all, our Heavenly Father, when He returns to earth, He's going to be called. We're going to know that He's coming because there's going to be a heavenly trumpet that's sounding His return. That's why I believe, going back to Acts chapter 9, the best way to describe who Saul is in regard to Jesus, in regard to God, in, to, in regard to the grand scheme of things, is that this man is my chosen trumpet because Saul is going to be the one who's going to proclaim the gospel to whom? What does your Bible say? Before the Gentiles and their leaders, and before the people of Israel. He's going to be God's trumpet to proclaim a loving Savior, to proclaim the story of a loving Savior who gave up His life so that you and I can live. Here's the other thing that's beautiful about a trumpet, with most instruments as well like a clarinet, a flute, a saxophone, a baritone, a trombone, especially a trumpet, you have to blow into it. That instrument is worthless without the player blowing their breath into that instrument. Which means then, if the Holy Spirit is not blowing through you, if you are the Lord's instrument, if you don't have the Holy Spirit blowing His breath into you, then you're just a paperweight. That trumpet without the player is just a paperweight. Or maybe you can get creative and put it in a nice box and then frame it, but nonetheless, that's all it's doing. It's just going to be on your wall for decor. 
And I think you and I are meant for something greater than just to being a decoration on the wall. You and I are meant to be instruments for Jesus. To proclaim, to play. Maybe you're an instrument that plays low notes. Maybe you're an instrument that plays high notes. Maybe you're an instrument that has kindness and love. Maybe you're an instrument that has fervor and passion and you're ready to just jump out there. Whatever instrument you are, God has chosen you to be one to share the gospel. Hmm. That's Saul. That's what God, that's what Jesus means when he's telling Ananias to go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Now, what does that word carry? What does that mean? So now we're moving on from instrument, and let's go to the second word, carry. Carry, this word in the Bible, is very significant because I think it can, uh, I think a synonym for carry, the Greek word here is bastazo. Bastazo can also mean to bear. To bear. To bear and carry the weight. You know, when you think of carry, sometimes I think of carrying something light. Because that's what it means, you know, for me to carry the groceries. You know, you're carrying your groceries from your car to your door to your kitchen. You're laying down the groceries. It's not really heavy. You might say, yeah, groceries can be heavy. But I'm talking about something significant to bear the weight of. Not just for a short time. I mean, you're bearing the weight of something that's bringing you to maximum capacity to what you can bear yourself. That's what baptazo means. Also, to bear means to take on that identity. So if Saul is going to be the one that bears or carries or bastazos the name of Jesus before the Gentiles, that means he's also taking the identity of Jesus, the, the character of Jesus. One who used to breathe hatred. Remember, that's what we said in two weeks ago, that, that Saul was breathing in hate. One who used to breathe in hate is now going to breathe in love. But not only breathe in love, but he's also going to exhale love to all the people that he meets. Bear. Roman soldiers back then had tattoos. Tattoos today, for the most part, is art. Or it would tell the story of what that person values the most. You know, I have friends that have tattoos. And at one point, I considered a, in having a tattoo, and I skipped class one day. This is kind of a side note. Skipped class one day in high school to go to the tattoo parlor because I wanted to get the emblem of Batman on my chest. I saw a grown man crying in there when he was getting poked on his arm. So I told my friend that I snuck out with, I said, nope, I'm not getting a tattoo. If he's crying, I'm out of here. So, but in modern days, tattoos, people get them because this reminds me of my mom, or this flower, or this car, or my favorite team, like the Broncos. But in ancient times, especially with Roman soldiers, they were tattooed with the legion that they served under. 
That way they, that other soldiers knew that this man is a soldier of Julius Caesar. Or maybe Cor uh, Cornelius. Cornelius who we studied not too long ago. If you were a slave, you were also branded with a tattoo. That this slave, that this servant, served under the house of Batiatis, perhaps? Right? So then, Saul here is going to bear that heavy weight, but also take on the identity of Jesus Christ, the attitude of Jesus Christ. Doesn't he even speak about that in Philippians 2.5, that your attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ? And then thirdly, he's going to willingly want to have the tattoo of Christ on his arm. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically. That's what it means to carry, to bear, to bastazo the name before the Gentiles. So what that tells me then is if you and I are willing to do such a thing, you need to believe it. You need to believe it. Otherwise, if you put that tattoo of Jesus on your arm, it's fake. And people will, will know that. The one thing I learned when I was a teacher is that the youth, and the Benabees can confirm this, whether it's right or not, the youth, regardless of kindergarten to high school to 12th grade, they know whether you really care for them or not. Right? Yeah, they can, they can tell if your love is fake. And they will call you out on it as a teacher. So then as a teacher, it would be good for you to really assess yourself and say, Hey, am I in this for the, real, uh, for the right reasons? Because if I'm not, I'm not going to be an effective teacher. Well, guess what? Am I in church for the right reasons? Because if it's not, then I'm not going to be happy in church. And that's why we have people who leave church. Because bearing the weight of Jesus' name on their shoulders, oh man, it is a heavy, a heavy burden. But a beautiful burden if you're aligned with the Holy Spirit. If you're aligned with Jesus Himself, then it's a beautiful burden to bear. Now, let's keep reading here. It says, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Someone who has been chosen to be an instrument, someone who has chosen to carry and bear the name of Jesus Christ will now have to suffer in the name of Christ. The word here in the Greek is Pasco. If you ask a Filipino what Pasco means, it means Christmas in Tagalog. But in ancient Koine Greek, Pasco means to suffer or to endure. The ancient Greeks never saw the difference between suffer and endurance. They saw that in order to, to endure, you're going to have to suffer. And if you're going to suffer, that means you're enduring the race. The Greeks had, a, had one race in their Olympics 
that it wasn't about speed or even the length of, uh, of the, or the distance of the run of the race. The race was about who can run while keeping their torch lit. <laughs> who here can run with keeping the torch lit of Jesus Christ, of their faith? The beauty of endurance and suffering is this. Maybe, number one, we shouldn't separate the two. If anything, we should always keep them together, just like how uh, the word Pasco recommends. That's maybe our fault that we see a difference. And the other thing about endurance and suffering is that, like Paul wrote in some of in, in his other writings, is that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Isn't that life? Life is all about enduring, enduring life's challenges, life's ups and downs, joys and losses, grief and celebrations. Life is a package deal of all of those things. And why? Well, the quickest answer that I can think of is because we live in a fallen world. But that's the point of endurance. We're enduring for a finish line. And the finish line for us is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So our race, your race, is not a pointless race. So endure. And in regard to suffering, the one thing I can think of for suffering is if you're familiar with a uh, emperor moth, it's one of those large moths about the, the size of your hand. And sometimes they could even be the size of your two hands. And, and the moth would be that large. And the cocoon is about a good four inches, sometimes six inches, okay, uh, of, a, of, of this type of moth. And so a parable has it that a man one day witnessed where a moth was, uh, well, number one, he witnessed that there was a special cocoon that he wanted to take home. So he took it home. Whether he put it in an aquarium or a jar, I'm not sure. But he took it home. And then as time passed by, he started to see this moth try, try to come out. And as this moth was trying to come out, it took several hours, and he realized, I need to help this moth. So he took scissors, and he cut the cocoon. And then the moth came out and fell to the ground. This man just observed this moth, hoping that in time it's going to sprout its wings and fly away. It didn't do that though. Because what he didn't realize, and as what science teaches us, is that moth needs that struggle to get out of that cocoon. Because what that cocoon presented as it was trying to come out of the cocoon, the moth was building its strength where liquid from its body, and I don't remember the scientific name for the liquid, but, but things from its body would help grow the wings so the wings can sprout and expand like it's expected to. And then that is when the moth can come out of its cocoon and fly away. So that man, taking the scissors, thinking that he was helping the moth, really was doing something cruel. 
You see the illustration here. That struggle, that your struggle, that cocoon that you're trying to get out of is the very thing that is going to bring you closer to God, number one. And then number two is the very thing that will make you stronger. Endurance and suffering. Wow. So God said, I spy with my little eye a wonderful man in Saul to be my chosen instrument, to carry and bear my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must endure and suffer for my name. While suffering and endurance may have negative connotations to it, in essence, in essence, it could perhaps be the greatest blessings we ever receive from God. The beauty of this, since this is in regard to Saul's conversion, it then tells me that this conversion is going to be a lasting thing for all time. That a conversion is not something that just happens one day, six months, or five years down the road. It's permanent. It's a permanent conviction to who Jesus is, so that's why that heart never turns back. And maybe one day we'll have a sermon series just on Paul's ministry, because you'll see that in his work with all of these other churches, in his missionary work, you see this man never falter, come back. Now, does he ever have doubts? He does. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. But nonetheless, he continues to endure. And I think we can too. I think we can too. I'm going to turn my Bible, and I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to end the sermon with this thought. It's a thought written by Saul himself, who at this point... He's now Paul. He's now been Paul for several years up to this point. And up to this point, he's had a strong impact. His ministry has had a strong impact to various churches. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, and I'll read through verse 26. Okay? Verse 21, and you might have heard this verse before. It's a very popular verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. Think about who's talking, okay? Think about this man who used to be a persecutor of of the church. Think about this man who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Think about this man who who had scales come off of his eyes. Think of this man who has transformed, who has become transformed because of the Holy Spirit into Paul. He says, for uh, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. You hear the moth speaking here that has been transformed from a caterpillar. This moth has now matured and he understands what true spirituality is. He understands what it means to walk with Christ. For he was able to say that for me to live is Christ. Meaning that if I continue to live on this earth, as long as I have breath, it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about the gospel. It's going to be about proclaiming that word. The wonderful word of Jesus, right? That's what I'm going to be doing as long as I live. And then the second part of that verse is, to die is gain. Well, if he dies, what happens? Who does he see next? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He would spy with his little eye a heavenly kingdom with Jesus in it, standing on the right hand of God. Wow. Going back to Acts chapter 9. I spy with my little eye a chosen instrument in Castle Rock Adventist Church to carry... Jesus' name before the communities of Castle Rock and their leaders. I will show Castle Rock Adventist Church how much they must endure for my name. Saul's story is your story. Saul's story is our story. I think we want to be an instrument of God, right? Let's make a beautiful symphony out of it. Let's all come together with our instruments, with our hearts, and make a joyful noise in this community of Castle Rock.